Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. So um, we believe it's God's desire for each and every one of you and myself included, and City Chapel as a whole to level up. That's why we're having leadership training, because we want our leaders to level up. Um, And that's why I'm ministering to you today, because I want you to level up. I want you to grow in your faith. So we got Mario, just like Mario in a mushroom. I (laughs) I want the Word of God to be like a mushroom is to Mario and uh help you grow to the next level uh man you get that you get that mushroom and he's like three times the size he normally is so sometimes growth doesn't happen that fast and that's okay but all in all you should be growing in your faith and um i believe 2021 is a year for that it's a year of joy it's a year of celebration it's a year of looking at what god has done and taking it to the next level and so if you have a bible with you in your living room uh, go ahead and open that. Uh, if not, uh, I think they're going to have it on the screen for you to be able to see. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing through chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 12 through 14. Um, we're going to be on verse 12 through 14 for a few weeks now. Um, verses 12 through 14, it's all about leveling up. Uh, he says in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because, by the way, uh, let me stop right there. Uh, seven times John gives a reason for his writing in First John. He's big into sevens. Uh, there are seven um, thermometer passages, which we've been talking about. There are also seven why passages, why he's writing. This is, this is one of them. I'm, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Verse 14, I write to you, dear children, same same word again, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, same words again, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. All right, we're all we're all good. Let me see in my my verse here. I just want to read. Uh, can I go on down to verse fifteen? Yeah, I'll scroll down. It's not on the screen, but verse fifteen is a part of this. I and and it's I think it's a vital part. He says, "Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Love for the Father is not in him." So, um, Father, we come to you today and we just ask for your, your wisdom and your, your, your understanding. Open the eyes of our heart uh, as we open your word. Um, teach us what Christian maturity is, what spiritual maturity is. Teach us how to, to level up by your standards, not by societies and not by our own and not by some religion or man-made version. Uh, Lord, we love you. and We thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about Christian maturity and what it means to level up. Uh, when you first read these passages, you might think uh, that he's talking to little children, biological little children, fathers, biological fathers, and young men. Um, but it, it really does seem that he's not speaking to 
actual physical ages as much as he's speaking to maturity levels. For instance, um, at the beginning of chapter two, he uses the same word here that he says, I'm writing to you, dear children. It's the exact same word that he uses at the very beginning of chapter two, where he says, uh, these things I've written to you, dear children, so that you will not sin. And it's the same word. He's obviously not talking to um, people who are 11 years old or younger. Um, He's talking to the church, and he is the elder statesman, right? He's the oldest, John at this point, is the oldest living apostle. Um, and uh, so he is speaking to them as his children, but not his physical children, his children in the faith. So it is important to understand that uh, when he says, dear children, fathers, and young men, he is not talking specifically um, to people maybe who are, are little <laughs> uh, and or people who have actually had physical children, and or people who are actually young, young men. Nor is he talking to people who are actually males. Uh, he's mentioning they're all, they're all in the male gender except for children because, well, 2,000 years ago, that's what you did, okay? So he's not bashing he's, ladies. He's not, uh, he's not bashing your gender. Just this is how, this is actually biblical language to address us not as um, daughters of God, but as sons of God. Once again, it's not a gender thing. It's, a, it's an inheritance thing. Um, because back in the day, women didn't receive an inheritance from their father. But, but the Bible says that we have been made sons of God uh, because we are heirs with Christ. So we're heirs of the—we're we're, we're recipients of the inheritance of our father. And, and so you can be whatever gender God made you to be. That's all good, male or female— but in terms of your spiritual man, it is, he is a man, right? And so um, I don't know what that has to say about anybody, but uh, this is biblical language, and it's good to associate yourself with it. It's not a bash on your gender. This is how God sees you. He sees you as a recipient of his, of, of his promises, that everything he owns is going toward us. And so I don't know about you, but I want to receive that. Come on, somebody. I want to receive all of that. And so, and so in every case, though, he's speaking to spiritual maturity. He's speaking to children. Now, now, um, uh, <laughs> as soon as I mention spiritual maturity or Christian maturity, I know right away you have thoughts about what maturity is. Um, and where, wherever you're at right now, wherever you're watching this from, I know you have thoughts about what maturity is. If you've been in the church, you definitely have thoughts about that. Even if you haven't been in the church, people have versions of maturity um, within their mind. So some, for some people, it's a stage of life. Uh, that's maturity, right? Like when you get married, uh, a lot of women are told that's maturity when you get married. It's not, okay? Just FYI, a lot of really mature married people. Um, <laughs> maturity is not a stage of life. It's not when you get a job. It's not when you get a house. It's not when you have a car, a house, a wife, and a dog. Um, maturity is not a stage of life. Maturity is also, uh, you know, for those of us that grew up in church, maturity is not um, a, a moral, uh, like, uh, perfection that you reach. Um, because in the beginning of chapter two, he says, I write to you, dear children, so that you will not sin. Therefore, to be a child in the kingdom of God is to be living without sin, without conscious rebellion against God. So there's no like, okay, well, you're sinning now because you're just immature, but when you get to be more mature, then you'll put down the weed and you'll stop. No, like (laughs) that's, that's a, 
that's a man-made structure and it's it's really just made just to help people feel more comfortable and keep coming back to church um instead of helping people actually be born again of the spirit so uh i want to be honest with you that's not a maturity issue that's a that's a birth issue um there are the maturity is not okay i'm going to sin less and less and less and less and less that's that's not a biblical version of maturity nor is it um you know, I don't know, uh, getting better at following church rules. Uh, I remember uh, when we were at a church one time and Ro and I were preaching together and Ro had a, a shirt. It was a long sleeve, like blouse uh, that had these holes for her shoulders because it was like a trendy blouse. I don't know. And like these holes, her shoulders were showing. And, uh, and, uh, and one of the one of the older ladies in church after our sermon, you know, went up and talked to Ro about, you know, that you should cover your shoulders when you're when you're at church. <laughs> so, um, you know, and some people would see that as immaturity. Well, Ro is just kind of immature because she's she doesn't know to cover her shoulders. Um, I knew that that was going to be a problem. I told her to wear the shirt anyway, uh, because, because it's that's not maturity. Maturity is not the ability to follow, more, more closely follow the, the unspoken or spoken rules of a particular denomination, because um, it's not in Scripture that women are to cover their shoulders. Um, you know, I mean, unless your shoulders are exceptionally weird looking, I, I, I think everything's great. <laughs> you might want to think about it if your shoulders are odd. You know, I don't know, but uh, I think it's a personal, <laughs> it's a personal decision. So, uh, but some people see that as maturity. Right. They're like, oh, well, 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 you know, she's she's just immature. You know, that's why that's what he's getting tattoos because he's he's still kind of immature in his faith. It's so weird. Like we assign these weird things that aren't in the Bible at all. Um, and it's really a tradition of men. And sometimes uh, a particular denomination or a Christian's version of maturity is how well people are following those 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 traditions of men. And so I want to I want to unteach you some things about maturity. Uh, maturity is not uh, getting to a point of sinlessness. Maturity is not getting to a point where you understand all the rules. And maturity is not a stage of life. Um, according to First John, there there are some markers of maturity. Um, and I and I and I love how he places them. He says he he addresses children, he addresses fathers, and he addresses young men. And I do think that those are the stages of maturity. Um, and it's lovely how he puts fathers right in the middle, just in case you think that this is a race to get to some point, because <laughs> fathers are obviously uh, at a farther level than young men. Uh, but yet he places them right in the middle because it's not stages and steps that, that we have to and hoops we have to jump through. Maturity, Christian maturity is a is an organic um, process that happens. It's a growth process and there is no uh, man made timeline on a God-oriented direction. So we have to be careful about that, but, but we do want to press on toward maturity. And what I, what, what I see in these passages are um, three different levels, if you will, of maturity. And the first one is that of a child. And uh, many of us are right here, and there's no shame in that. By the way, John doesn't have any, to any of those levels, he never says you need to be doing this or you need to be doing that or you don't need to be, you need to stop this. You know, he says, I'm writing to you because, for, 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 for the children, he says, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven. That's awesome. And then and the second time, he takes it a little step further. This is the process of maturity. He says, I'm writing to you because you know the Father. 
And um, so that actually, in a nutshell, that is Christian maturity, to know the Father. Notice how for children, he says, I'm writing to you because you know the Father. And, and, then, and then for fathers, he says, I'm writing to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. <laughs> in other words, uh, whether you are a child in the faith or you are a father in the faith, the greatest thing about you, the thing that separate, the thing that 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 brought you to that place of maturity is that you know the Father, is that you know God. So the varying degrees maturity has to do with the varying levels of fellowship that you have with God, or the ways that you know Him. Um, because the 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 children, He says, you know the Father, but the fathers, He says, you know Him who is from the beginning. That's a new level of of understanding of the Father. But at any state, it starts with knowing God and it ends with knowing God. Uh, he is the number, he's the one step. He's, he's the only step. So over the next few weeks, honestly, that's what we're going to be talking about is not how do we learn how to be um, better Christians, but rather how do we get to know the Father better? How do we get to know him better? And so first off, I want to start off just with, with what does it mean to be a child of God? Because that's what he says, I'm writing to you children. And by the way, when he says children, he's not talking to the entire world. He's talking specifically to children of God, and not everybody is a child of God. <laughs> that might be a newsflash in and of itself. I know I, 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 I listen to some secular music, and, and usually whenever they're bashing the church in the secular music, they say, well, I thought we were all God's children. To which I always say audibly, you thought wrong. You, uh, I don't know, I don't know who told you that, uh, but you might want to actually read the Bible. I don't think you've picked it up, right? Take me to church. Okay, we'll take you, but then we will share the love of God with you and the truth of God's Word that just because all were created by God does not mean that all are His children. Uh, certainly, Paul says, you know, that we've all come from Him, right? And he's preaching on Mars Hill, and uh, that's absolutely true. But um, to be a child of God means to be born from God, to be born of God. And John talks about this actually in his gospel. We probably have this on the screen for you in John chapter 1. Um, he says that, you know, the light came into the world, but the darkness did not comprehend it. But then in verse 12, he says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You're not born a child of God. You become a child of God. And that's and that's and and that's that's a right that he gives to those who believe in his name. To those that believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so uh, if you're watching this today and you say I don't know if I've been born of God, you are tuned in on the perfect Sunday uh, because we want you to be born of God. By the way, to be born of God is not to uh, join a church. To be born of God is not to um, attend church. To be born of God is not to be baptized. To be born of God is not to make a decision. All right, we, we often confuse decisions with salvation. Decisions are good, but to be born of God is an entirely different process than simply raising your hand and making a decision to follow him or to make him the Lord of your life. That's a wonderful decision. But spiritual birth is a different deal. Uh, to be baptized is a wonderful thing. 
But spiritual birth is a very different thing. There is no, if, 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 if anybody tells you there is such a thing as a prayer of salvation, um, you, you need to ask them to take, say, can you show me that in, in the Bible exactly where that is? And then what they'll do is they'll start at Romans and they'll go down the Romans road. They'll give you about 15 scriptures, none of which is a prayer of salvation because there is no prayer of salvation because salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is rebirth. So to be to become a child of God is not a prayer that you pray or a, a sacrament that you participate in um, or a, a place that you visit and attend. All of those things are great. Praying, uh, sacraments, and attending church. Those are good. But, but to be born of God is a, is a spiritual experience. It's an event that happens, that happens inside of a believer. And um, I was listening to Leonard Ravenhill uh, this week. Actually, I was listening to a, an old interview of Leonard Ravenhill. If you don't know who Leonard Ravenhill is, you need to check him out. He's a huge influence in my life. Um, but he was sharing about how he grew up, right? And he's 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 passed away now, but he, he's an old, old man, like, like in the early teens of the last century. And he grew up in like a revival-type culture um, in, in, in England where— uh, where literally like you would come down to the altar and pray and somebody would come up next to you with their Bible and they would sit down and they would say, like, how can I how can I help you? What can I pray with you about? And if somebody wanted to be saved, they didn't just say, OK, well, look, pray this prayer, repeat after me. And then you get up and go <laughs> like you, you would open the scriptures and you would show how in scriptures that God has given us the right to become the son of sons of God. And then you would, you would pray. I think they would call it pray through praying through like you would pray until something shifted in the spirit man of the person who was praying. So it's not something that you repeat or something that you believe or something you agree to. <clears throat> it is something that happens in your spirit. And by the way, this takes time. And so this is something I've been struggling with, uh, just wrestling with all of like um, last year before 2020 hit is this idea that I don't know that we're that we're walking with people through this birth process well enough. Um, I think sometimes we just preach stuff and then we pray at the end of service and then, then we go. And um, and I know that we have time constraints in the building and, and with different multiple services and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but it doesn't mean that birth suddenly happens quicker. Uh, it simply means that less people get spiritually reborn, honestly, if we don't take the time. And so I want to just commit, even as a as a pastor, Ro and I, like our living room is open to you. If you aren't sure that you are a child of God, I want to spend every day that I can sitting with you, praying with you until you know that you are a child of God. You can know. You can be absolutely certain. You can, it, like, it's it's it, it's it's the difference of like reading about something and experiencing something, <clears throat> right? Like um, to say there's a prayer of salvation, it's like saying that you know that there's a prayer of nourishment. There's not a prayer of nourishment. You can pray over your food, but then you need to eat your food, right? And praying over your food and eating your food, two very different things. Trust me, uh, one. You know, it's nice. You pray about it. You thank God for it. The second actually makes you feel full and changes, helps you survive, right? And so to to simply pray about salvation is one thing, but to receive and to feed off of the salvation that God has provided for you, that's a huge difference. And so um, anyway, Ro and I are available to you. The various pastors on staff are available to you. 
if we don't do anything, if we spend all of our days just meeting with people, helping make sure that they pray and understand and put faith in uh, the word of God until something happens on the inside, then that's fine. That's a, that's a good day. <laughs> that is an amazing day. And so if you're at City Chapel and you're not sure that you're a child of God, please look me up. Uh, message uh, JT, Pastor JT will be leaving some comments there. Reach out to him. Reach out to Roe. Reach out to me. Um, we want to walk with you through this. We want you to know that you're a child of God. We want you to, to be absolutely certain because during this season, I'll tell you, that's one thing we did notice during 2020 is some people just, they knew about God and some people knew God. And it became very clear the difference in that. So for some of us today, the level up is to say, I'm going to get serious about my faith, not simply going to church or believing right, uh, but I'm actually going to pray until I am reborn. I'm going to submit until I am reborn. And what, and what John says, he says, I'm writing to you children. He says, because your sins have been forgiven. And so that's my second point. A child, number one, a child is born. And number two, a child of God, his, their sins have been forgiven. And, um, and a person who is living in a forgiven state, they live differently than people who are not. And um, that's, why, <clears throat> that's why the various commands in Scripture, actually, uh, like, for instance, uh, in, in the Old Testament, uh, what we call the Ten Commandments, I don't think God called them the Ten Commandments. Um, God said in Exodus chapter 20, he said, I am the Lord your God. That's how he started the whole thing. I am the Lord your God. He said, therefore, and if you look at the original text, he simply says, you will never have any other gods before me. You will never commit adultery. You will never lie. You will never murder. That's, 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 that's the literal words. He's not saying don't commit adultery, don't lie, uh, don't, don't steal, right? No, he's saying because I am the Lord your God, you will never do these things. This is what he's saying. And, 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 it's, and it's more of a description than it is a commandment because people who are not children of God, who try to live up to this impossible standard, they fall short every time because it's not a, it's not a standard. It's a description of people who are children of God. It is simply a description. And so, so much of scripture actually is, it's basically describing what it means to be forgiven. When you are forgiven, you don't gossip about other people who are not yet forgiven. When you are forgiven, you forgive others. You don't hold grudges because you are forgiven. When you really know that you are forgiven, uh, your life changes. And so, once again, um, there are many thermometer passages throughout 1 John, which he is letting us know, look, if, if, if you are a child of God, this is how you will live. And as we're reading that, some of us are saying, well, that's not how I'm living. That's not meant to condemn you. It's meant to awaken you to the fact that you're not actually a child of God, but you can become a child of God by putting your faith in his name, by trusting in his sacrifice and by following him. And so, and so what I want is for everybody at City Chapel to level up to this level, to become a child of God. It's not, it's, everybody's not a child of God. You're not just, you know, while I'm breathing, I guess I'm a child of God. No, no, you're not. Like Hitler was not a child of God. And I know that because he wasn't walking in the light. Uh, he was walking in racial prejudice. He was walking in murder. He was walking in anger and hate. He was consoled, you know, by a demon. I mean, like there's so much going on in his life. He was not walking in the light. Therefore, he's not a child of God. Now, I don't know what happened in his final hours. 
uh, hopefully repented. I don't know. But um, <clears throat> whatever, whatever Russia did with him, we'll figure out later, right? Uh, but uh, truly, <laughs> beyond, all conspiracy theories aside, <clears throat> to become a child of God is a very big thing. And it happened. It's huge. Like, like when we had our, our first, when we had our kids, people knew it. Um, it became obvious to us that we had a child. Uh, and, and it wasn't just a decision. It was a massive event. We had both of our kids naturally. Roe is a beast. And um, she was physically able to do um, both of our kids naturally. And uh, the first one was at a birthing center in New Braunfels, which is really just, just a house in downtown New Braunfels, but it's close to the close to the, the the hospital in case we needed to go. And man, Madden was turned around backwards, and like she was all kinds of ways. <clears throat> and it took, I think it was like nine hours of straight labor, and uh, lots of um, <laughs> anguish for Roe. And but she finally got Madden out. Um, and so, to, and so, if it takes nine hours for a human being to be born uh, by the will of man, <clears throat> by the, you know, by the, the scripture says, by the will of man, the will of a husband, all that kind of stuff. If it takes nine hours for a human being to be born, and that human being's only going to live maybe 70 years, how, how do we think that in four minutes, a spiritual, eternal new being is just going to be birthed? And then, and then, and then people are still going to be wondering, so did anything really happen? Oh, man, when, when something is, when a new soul is born, it becomes very evident. Um, and it's not just a decision. Like, we didn't walk into uh, the birthing center and say, we, we've decided to have a, have a baby today. <laughs> no, uh, she decided to come. And uh, there wasn't anything that was going to be stopping that. And that's what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that, that God draws God, uh, no man comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. And so there's this drawing, this pulling on, on your soul and your spirit. So if you're feeling that today, respond to that. Don't let that, that, that baby die inside of you. Don't because you, cause you won't, because you're too stubborn to let it out. No, respond to that. Allow the process that God is trying to birth through you, allow it to happen in your life. And I'm telling you, you'll never be the same. That, that, that baby came out, Madden came out and, um, now we our our lives have never been the same. It's the same thing with Micah. Um, now everybody says babies are beautiful. Um, they're lying. Not all babies are beautiful. Madden was not beautiful. Um, she had was stuck in the birth canal for so long. Her head was kind of kind of shaped a little funny. She was a little purple, um, but she was healthy, and that was that was all that we cared about. And she was ours, and that's all that we cared about. Um, now Micah, he shot right out there, so uh, he his his head was perfectly shaped and he actually yeah he actually was a beautiful baby um but it's interesting in with regard to maturity that's an interesting thought because beauty is different at every level of maturity right <laughs> so hey, a beautiful baby he's got all these rolls and he's bald you know uh <laughs> at other levels of your life that's not exactly a compliment but um uh early on that's that's a good thing because you want all that all, all that fat as a baby but that just shows you that <clears throat> that god Sometimes I'm praying for people, and I and I just see these mental pictures, and and sometimes I just see a precious little baby of a, of a soul, and um, if, you're, if we're if we're not careful, we'll judge we'll judge babies by father standards, and uh, we have to be careful not to do that, uh, but to find beautiful what God finds beautiful, to find beginnings beautiful and processes beautiful and messy. Babies are messy, man. 
they can't even feed themselves. Um, <laughs> they can't, <clears throat> they can't use the restroom. It's messy. Um, but they are beautiful, uh, when they're breathing. And, uh, so honestly, our celebration is when, is when babies start breathing spiritually, when people start <clears throat> living spiritually and, um, there's still a lot of work to be done, but it's, but, but it's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> and so we want to, we want to walk with you. Uh, feel free to reach out to us to help us know you're forgiven, but, uh, babies are born, children are born, children are forgiven. And then children of God, <clears throat> finally, they know the father. That's the final point that he says about them. And that's, to me, <clears throat> John is repeating these, these statements because he's showing the movement. He's showing the growth. So initially, um, we receive something from the Father, right? We receive forgiveness. But then what, how, a, how a child levels up is they come to know the Father. And the secret to knowing God, I mean, this is, by the way, I think the secret to knowing anything, is to love him. Um, that's why in verse 15, I think it's so important. He says, do not love the world uh, or the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not inside of them. And you must, if you're going to keep growing, you must have a love for God. It's so huge that we have a love for God. And you say, well, I like God. Well, no, you have to have a love for God. Uh, I enjoy worship music. No, you have to have a love for God. Um, I was listening to a story this this past week about George Washington Carver. Um, it is Black History Month. George Washington Carver, one of the, I think, the greatest um, inventor in American history. Uh, and uh, man, I'll tell you what, he rose past prejudice, rose past all kinds of nonsense, and just did some amazing things. George Washington Carver was also a fervent Christian, and he was he was out in the field one day praying. And he was he was pacing around and he was asking, he was, you know, he was trying to help people. And so he said, God, what is what is the earth? Help me understand the earth. And uh, he felt the Holy Spirit uh, whisper in his spirit that, George, that's too big for you. Um, ask something more your own size. <laughs> and uh, man, I tell you, how many how many prayers go unanswered because we're asking things that are too big for us to even be able to hold the answer to like. God doesn't answer because if he did, it would blow our minds up. And, and you know, it's like, God, how do I solve uh, all, you know, world hunger? <laughs> Too big for you, man. How about you try feeding the homeless? Um, you know, I think sometimes we're asking God really massive things. And, and it's just too big. Like, you can't do anything about that. You, your brain can't even handle what the earth actually is. And so God said, uh, go ask something else. And so a few days later, um, George was praying. And uh, he said, what is man? Like, like what, is, what is the human body? And uh, God, he felt the Holy Spirit say, again, that's still too big for you. <laughs> Ask something more your own size. And so a few days later, Carver, Dr. Carver was out in the field. And he was walking around. And I reached down and grabbed a cluster of peanuts. And uh, he said, what are, what are these peanuts? What are these? And God, he felt the Holy Spirit say, now you're asking something <clears throat> that is <clears throat> more your own size. And he felt the Holy Spirit speak to him, which I think this is such a, a, a key to actually understanding anything, to really knowing God, to really knowing your spouse, to really knowing your church, your church family, to really knowing your community. I think this is a, a key to knowing anything well. Um, he felt the Holy Spirit say, uh, George, if you will love those peanuts with all of your heart, 
the way that you love me with all of your heart, then you will see what is in those peanuts. And I do, I really, that sounds kind of silly, right? But it sounds silly because we're only used, we're used to having to know something before we love it. Like, I got to examine it before I decide whether or not I love it. But in reality, you never really know something until you love it. Anybody that's been married more than five minutes will understand this. You never really know something or someone until you love them. You can date them for a while and you think you know them. Um, but I look back 15 years ago and I'm like, man, we didn't even know each other. I mean, we did, but not really. Um, you know, like there's a, there's a level of knowledge that can only come by love that you there's some things you will only know about certain things and certain people until you love them. You simply will not see them. You will not see their potential. You will not see their possibilities. You will not see the, the good in them until you love them. And the same is true with God. We cannot wait to fully understand God before we love him. We must purposefully, and this is the kind of love, because this is the deal. When you're trying to love a peanut, <laughs> uh, what exactly does a peanut have to give you? Like, uh, you know, I can love peanut butter because it tastes good. Um, I can love the thing for its utility. But when you're trying to love a thing to know it, you can't simply consume it. You can't simply use it. And so you must have the kind of love that God has for us. He has a love for us that is not looking for something from us. He is not dependent on us. He's not wanting to consume us. You know, in, in that sense, he's not a consumer. He's not looking to, to, to just grab and say, oh, I could really use that. Oh, yeah, that fills a void in my life. He has no voids. And so his love for us is a selfless love. And if you really want to know something or someone, you have to acquire a selfless love for that person or for that thing, or for that uh, individual, or for that region, or for God. You must love him, not for what he can do for you. And this is why many people come to God, and uh, they, they want to be spiritually born, but they only have a sort of consumer mindset concerning him. And that's why they're never actually spiritually born. God fixes their problems, and it's lovely, and then they go back to their, to their previous life. Uh, but if you want to really know God, you must fully love him. And as George Washington Carver prayed for God to help him love those peanuts, and, he, and he's looking at those, he, he began to notice some things. And one of the things he noticed is that there was some, some oil, you know, coming off of, of the peanut onto his hand. And so he took the peanut into a lab and he found that he could extract the oil from peanuts and he found that he could use the extracted oil from peanuts to apply topically to the skin of some of his patients who were suffering uh, some uh, irritation in different parts of their body and that that peanut oil would actually soothe and calm them. Uh, George Washington Carver actually found, I think it was 300 things in a peanut. Uh, and he didn't even invent peanut butter. That's a, <laughs> that's a myth. Uh, somebody else like leveled up, um, but he found 300 things in a peanut. He found 150 things in a sweet potato. The dude found plastic in a soybean, um, like stuff we're still using today. This is like 150 years ago. This is a long time ago. George Washington Carver was finding things simply by, by loving what God had placed in front of them. 
And I'm telling you, man, this is like, boy, this is, this is huge for loving God. This is also huge for loving your spouse. Um, I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I know you're ready to complain about your spouse, but until you're ready to love your spouse with all of your heart, you're not really going to see them. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, ah, oh, well, he's, he's this, and he's that, you know, well, okay. Love him with all of your heart and you will see who he is. You will see his potential. If you love your kids with all of their hearts, with all of your heart, instead of complaining about them, you would see their potential. You would see the, the, what God has, what God sees. This is how God sees us. This is why God has such empathy and such mercy. And by the way, this is key to prayer as well. I think I was sharing this on a Wednesday night. This is key to prayer. You cannot effectively pray for somebody without empathy. I really don't believe that you can. <clears throat> James says that it's the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. And uh, as charismatics, we like to focus on the fervent part. You know, you got to be yelling. You got to be, you know, uh, just going, get, get fervent. You got fervency. And that's great. But what about effectiveness? If you don't have empathy for somebody, then you, like, James also says that our prayers aren't answered because we ask amiss or we don't ask according to the will of God. Well, how can you have the will of God without the mind of God? And if you're not seeing people through the eyes of God, you won't know the will of God for them. And so you might pray for somebody. And I'm convinced many of our prayers are completely ineffective because we do not pray with the mind of God. So we pray for our enemies, like God says, but we're like, Lord, sick them, Lord. Teach him, teach him, you know, and we pray for our spouses, Lord, convict him, make him feel horrible about how he treated me. It's like, we, we don't pray with the mind of God. We don't pray through the, because we don't see them through the eyes of God. So honestly, until you feel love, I mean, real God, uh, God kind of love, selfless kind of love for somebody, don't even bother praying for them because it's an ineffective prayer. Like you're wasting your time. And I've wasted many of my prayers as I pray for people that I don't have empathy for. My like, Lord, well, help them out because, you know, <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. I have to have the heart of God, the mind of God, and see people through the eyes of God before my prayers are effective. In fact, Scripture talks about husbands' prayers being, being hindered because of the way that they treat their wives. And it's not that God is, like, punishing them, I don't think. He's not like, well, not going to listen to you. No, uh, Scripture says God resists the proud. Like, those are the people he resists. I think their prayers are hindered because, honestly, they don't have the mind of Christ for their spouse. And so they don't know what to pray according to the will of God because they're too hurt or they're too uh, frustrated or they're too angry or they're too judgmental or they're too like, well, he always does. And, and it, you cannot effectively see somebody and judge them at the same time and be critical of them at the same time. This is why our country's in the state that it's in. Uh, one, because we've rejected God. And so that's what flesh is going to do. But two, because we don't, we don't even see people uh, with empathy anymore. Um, we simply judge them. And when you're judging people, you do not see them. You don't hear them. You don't actually hear what they're saying. Um, I have had people like shoot back at me from text messages that I'm like, that's not even what I said, let alone like what I meant. But, but when you're judging people's attitudes and their, their motives, sometimes you don't even hear exactly what they say. But to really love a person, to love your children, to love Christian community. Um, uh, some, if, if, if all you do is step into a small group or step into a church and you're just trying to 
trying to, to, to see everybody before you decide whether you're going to love them, good luck. You're going to see a lot of flaws. You're going to see a lot of warts. You're going to see a lot of personality issues and hangups and stuff. And you're going to judge them as not worthy of your love. But the kind of love that actually brings out and sees the good in people and has an effective prayer life is the kind of love that is selfless, that chooses to love. He chose to love Apina, and he saw so many things in Apina. And if you will choose to love God, even if you're skeptical, even if you're not sure that God even exists, if you will decide to love God, he will reveal himself to you. You will see what is, what is, what is in him. You will see the, the benefit of him. You'll see the value of him. If, if you'll choose to love, if you'll choose to love Christian community, you'll begin to see the value in it. If you'll choose to love uh, uh, your spouse, you'll see the value in it. If you choose to love your country, you'll see the value in it. If you choose to love uh, your kids, you'll see the value in them. If you choose to love the word of God, you'll see the value in it. If you just read it because you have to, but not because you love it, you'll never get the value out of it. You'll never see the worth of it. But to love God uh, to know God, you have to first love him. And to love him, sometimes you have to make a, a decision uh, to, to, to love him. Just like George Washington Carver didn't naturally love peanuts, but he had to pray for God to give him love for the peanut. And that may be where you're at today, where you need to pray for God to give you love for himself. God, give me a love for you. Give me a love for your word. Give me a love for your church. Right. And give me a love for my neighbor. Give me a love for my spouse. Give me a love for my children. Because naturally, well, we're all just very selfish. And so we don't have a God, a, a God kind of love, a selfless love. Uh, if people aren't um, doing what we want them to do and if they're not serving us in the way we want them to serve us. And and if they're not some sometimes if they're just 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 ignorant. Right. Or more, more ignorant than us, I should say, because, uh, you know, if they're if they're less intelligent than us, it's like we, we can become judgmental. But uh, to have a to really know something or someone to see the value in them, you have to choose to love them first. So, Father, we, we come before you. And we ask for you to give us a love for yourself. Give us a love for you. Uh, we don't naturally uh, in our carnal state. We don't actually have that. We, we only uh, love things that can, we seek that can do something good for us. It's a selfish love. But Lord, teach us to, to love you. Teach us to, to desire you, not for what you can do for us, but for who you are. Lord, teach us to have a great love. In, implant a love for God in our heart. Lord, we turn away from this world and the things of this world. Uh, we cannot love you if we are consumed with loving the things of this world. And so that's why you say, don't love the world. Pull your love away from the world. Pull your attention away from the world. Pull your affection away from the world. You don't, if you, if you, if you don't do that first, you won't have the reservoir to love God or to love your neighbor. If you're so busy loving yourself, you, you won't have the reservoir to love God or to love those around you. And so first, Lord, we pull back on these other loves and we we, we pull back on these other things. We renounce these other things. We, we let go of these other things. We release these things. Uh, Lord, we, we release the love of money. <laughs> we release the love of pleasure. We release from a, the love of, of, of fame. We release the, the love of approval of people. We release the, 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 the love of self-expression. 
the love of expressing ourselves. Lord, these are things which have our culture just in 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 a in a trap. We're trapped. We cannot love you because we love ourselves too much and we love our the approval of others too much. We don't have any space left to give to our kids or to give to our spouses or to give to our families. We're too busy uh, checking how many likes we have and shares and all that kind of stuff. Lord, we, we're, we're too drawn to these other things. So Lord, first we renounce our love of the world and the things of this world, our love of money and love of getting more of it and love of having enough of it saved so that we can feel secure and a love of having a nicer car and a better vehicle and a bigger house and a, and a greater accommodation for our, for our flesh, for, our, for, for this life, a love of health even. We have a, we have a great love of, of continuing to be alive. We love this life far too much spend far too much thought and effort on preserving this life, virtually zero on the next. We love this life so much we have no more mental space or capacity to love the next life. And yet, and yet Colossians says that our hope is in heaven. That's where our hope is. And so, Lord, would you, would you help us to release the things on this earth that are pulling us here and grind, grounding, grounding us to this place? Oh, we're so much in love with this place and with these things that we cannot imagine losing them. We cannot imagine letting go of them. We cannot imagine moving on to the next world, the place you prepared for us. Even, even just this week in the horrible accident up in uh, Fort Worth, uh, several souls were, were taken. They went to work in the morning and and. And they did not come home, and they are now in the next life. Whatever their plans were, whatever their retirement was, whatever, uh, whatever, whatever Valentine's Day plans, they, it's all gone. There are no more plans for this life. <laughs> now the question is, what plans had you made for the next life? Now the question is, for the rest of eternity, where will you spend that eternity? How will you spend that eternity? Are there any rewards? Are there any uh, successes? Are, is there anything that you're proud of in the next life? Is there anything that you saved up? <laughs> any treasures you stored up there? Have you placed any treasures in heaven? Lord, would you, would you lift our eyes above this life? Otherwise, we'll see tragedies like that. <laughs> Somebody even posted, well, this is why you need to have life insurance. And I thought, well, how does that help? How does it help when you see a semi coming at you at 70 miles an hour? Do you really think, boy, I wish I would have had life insurance? This doesn't, this doesn't help. It's for this life. It's just to leave your family more money so that they can live a few more years on this earth a little bit nicer. But what about the next life? What about real life? What about, what about what's coming after that semi impact? What about what's coming for the next million years? Where are we going to be and how are we going to live in that life? Lord, would you pull back the, just the trap in which we are so caught up in, in a lot of politics and who's, who's elected who and who's doing what and what kind of stimulus is coming? Lord, would you pull back the facade of that? It's so fake. All of it is so temporary and yet we're in love with it. It pulls at our heartstrings. It, it, it calls our attention a day in and day out, we're working nine to five and even later to be able to, to do the things that we want to do and enjoy the life that we want. And yet, and yet this life is temporary. So Lord, we, would you, would you, we, we, we renounce our love of this life. Take away 
a love for things. Take away a love for security that we call security. Take away a love for health because it can be taken in a moment on a highway. You can be the healthiest person in the world and it can be gone. Or take away our love for feeling like we are in control of things. Remove from us these, these other loves. Help us pull, detach our heart. Because it's, it's at a heart level that we love them. <laughs> so help us to detach our heart and give us a love for God. Give us a love for others. Give us a love uh, for our spouses. Give us a love for our children. Give us a love for our church. Give us a love uh, for eternity and for souls for seeing souls saved, for seeing people delivered. Lord, give us a love for freedom. <laughs> give us a love for love. Give us a love for joy. Give us a love for peace. Give us a love for the fruit of the Spirit. We will grow what we love. We will attract what we love. Give us a love for your Holy Spirit. And let Him, let Him develop in us all that needs to be developed. Let Him remove from us all that needs to be removed. Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're if you're praying with us and if you're sensing the Holy Spirit draw you and call you, uh, we want to hear